Hello everyone, it's me, Kendra Arsenault. Spectrum Magazine, SDA Kinship, along with yours truly, have come together to bring you a brand new podcast series called Imago Gay, where we bring you the latest on queer theology, studies, and a minority perspective on faith. Today, I have a special guest, a spiritual care provider at a local hospital near me, Miss Roxanne. We will be having a lively discussion as we introduce this podcast by posing one single question. Is it safe? Okay, so I have gotten two different perspectives on how to start this podcast. And the truth is, I don't know how. I absolutely do not know how to start this conversation. I think it has a lot of potential to be explosive. I am not coming in here as the expert because I'm not. Can we recap what the two... You have one side of the story that's saying, please be careful. Like, we care about you. We love you. This is an important topic and it could get spicy. And then there's another voice in my ear uh, that basically is like, go for it. You're, you've lost your job already. Like you can't burn wood twice, right? It's been burnt. Yeah. And so walk through those fires, girl. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm like, am I? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's valid. I think I think people have seen what happened. Uh, for me to just announce my queerness, and then two days later later to be fired. I feel like that's traumatic, not just for me. For anybody who genuinely cares about the conversation and wants it to have an impact, a positive impact, right? Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that there's a lot writing on this. People, I've heard people say this is can be such a powerful conversation, you know, like take care and Godspeed. You know? <laughs> and it's way too much pressure. Yeah. I will say this. Mm-hmm. When you hear people kind of talk to you, do you feel that it's coming from a place, and excuse me for sounding like a chaplain, but do you feel like it's coming from a place of self energy, you know, um, thinking of you being really in tune with who you are and your own sense of purpose, your own sense of creativity, and or do you think that it's coming from a place of fear, fear being maybe triggering the voices of your protectors? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that I want to talk about self-energy because you are a chaplain, spiritual care provider. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand the ears (laughs) that are listening. You know, what kind of ears do we have when we're addressing this topic? And before we get into that, though, and maybe you can vibe off of this, I'm thinking about what a traumatic event being fired was not just for me, but for the communities of people who were watching to say, how is this conversation going to be handled? Mm -hmm. So my question today that I want to talk about is, is it safe? Mm. I think every listener has to go through that journey. Am I a safe person to hear this person's story and this perspective? When I first came to the seminary, One of my friends from college was getting married, and she was getting married to another woman. And I remember kind of just like testing the water to see what some of my classmates would say. I was like, hey, look, you know, 
I have a friend. We haven't seen each other in a long time. There's going to be a lot of friends from college that I haven't seen in a long time. You know, maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of share where I'm at in my journey. And, you know, what do you guys think? Should I go to this wedding? And what do you think that they said? Well, first, I have I have questions. Okay. I'm curious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so was it your mind, like, was your mindset, I want to be a part of these people's lives because I want to be able to have an influence in them? Or were you, or, I mean, it could be a multiplicity of things, right? I think, honestly, this was my roommate in college, uh-huh. a very close friend of mine at one point, and she invited me to come to her wedding, and I just didn't see a world where I would say no to that. <gasps> Gasp. Gasp. I don't, mean, I don't mean to make light of it, because I do think that our lives and the way that we show up in people's spaces is always an opportunity to be kind to another person, to share who you are and what drives you. But I think relationship should be the motivator right. for any kind of participation, right? Like we are looking not just to convince people of some truth that we hold to, right? Like I love yeah. this new show on Apple TV. I think it's called Home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will talk about it because I just think it's so, so great. Um, but, you know, whenever I'm going out and having conversations with people, I'm there to have a relationship. I'm not just there to promote what I believe is to be a good show. Right, right. So I think that, I don't know, I just want to yeah. validate that relationship is a good enough excuse to show up in people's lives and... Inevitably, that provides opportunities for other things, but I think sometimes we switch those two around. Yeah. And we have a motive for for having relationship rather than relationship itself. Anyways, that's a tangent. Let's go back to... <laughs> no, it's, it's, a good, it's a good perspective because at the time, like you could see the fear on everyone's faces of like... <gasps> Why would you even think of going to this And they were wedding? like, you know, you can't go, that, that you need to make a stance, right? This, this is the time to stand for Jesus, to refuse to show up at your friend's wedding and and deny your support. And I just thought, that is incredibly cruel. <laughs> like, mm. I'm sitting here with a bunch of future pastors, and this is kind of where we are at right now. And I, and so just to kind of like use that as an example, that's also telling me the kind of climate that I'm in, Right. So here we are. I have an example, a real-world scenario. I throw it out to test the waters, and the response is, don't go to Babylon, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that is also giving me a picture of who my community is, which is, oh, these people are definitely not safe um, to talk about anything that's going on in my life. And so I think when it comes to asking ourselves, are we safe, Are we giving people the kind of cues where if they did want to talk to you about their own queer identities or their queer family member or they're going to a wedding, that are you really facilitating a space that is honoring that? So I I think that there was a time and hey, becoming a safe person in a safe space is a journey. I think I I have been an unsafe person even around LGBTQ issues, because I myself identified as queer, 
for way before I came to seminary. So when people would talk about certain issues and I was in my very conservative phase, I think I was very dismissive of a lot of people because I'm an authority. I know the experience. You just say no to drugs, okay? You just say no and you walk away. (laughs) And I think that that, you know, one is a very uncompassionate approach to myself even and definitely to other people. That's why I believe it's so important for you to share your perspective because we can theorize Mm -hmm. about somebody's response and how their own traumas get triggered or how the event in itself might be traumatic for many people. But I think what this podcast is doing is removing the theory out of it and elevating that voice. And so I think that by you talking about how it impacted you, we get to hear the voice of that collective community in some ways. Can you talk a little bit about self-energy for a minute before we go on? Because I I think it's so important to know, and I probably am not often in that. I think I know it when I'm there. But what exactly does it mean to be operating out of your your self-energy? So it's actually based on... IFS theory, so internal family systems theory. And the best way to think about like self-energy, they call it the eight C's. I don't remember all of them, but it's like when you're feeling connected, creative, confident, curious, compassionate, calm. It's like all these places where you're not leading with a protector. And so your protectors, they divide them into two sections. They're called either your managers. Your managers are the internal voices that kind of help you avoid situations you don't like. And the firefighters who are those that help you deal with a situation that you didn't like and your managers failed to prevent you from experiencing. So one example is for like, that, that was really used when describing this theory to me, was let's say this person has body image issues. And at work, she hears that her boss is throwing this pool party at his place. I don't remember the exact story, but basically her whole life she's been avoiding being in a swimsuit. And this is her exile, right? That that her body image being in a swimsuit in front of others is something she wants to avoid. That's the exile. So the exile is like it's this part of you that you don't want the rest of the world to see or know. Or yeah, it's like the part of where the shame is, okay. right? Okay. Um, so a correlation would be maybe somebody's sexuality. They don't want that to be found out. That's an exile. That's something that they're hiding deeply. And so the manager is figuring out ways in life or operating in life in such a way that you avoid that ever coming out or facing a situation like that. So she tries to get out of this um, pool party situation, but realizes that all the important people and all the important connections are going to be happening there, and she can't miss this opportunity uh, to connect with her peers and her boss and the opportunity that it will bring. So she ends up going to the pool party, and everybody's wearing a swimsuit, and the peer pressure just inevitably lends itself to have her be in her bathing suit. And so now that her manager has failed to keep her from a scenario she was trying to avoid, right, to keep the exile safe, Mm. her firefighter kicks in. 
and says, I'm going to start drinking (laughs) and feeling disconnected from this reality by just having a really good time and blacking out almost, right? Like Mm. just a way to cope with reality that you don't want, which is very far removed from this self-energy where you're leading with confidence and curiosity and courage, right? It feels very different energetically. Mm. And when I think about how I want to operate in life or how anybody wants to operate in life, fear is good as it serves to protect you. One of the things that we go through in chaplaincy training is to thank our protectors. Like We owe them a lot for the ways that they've helped us survive, but we also kind of challenge the ways that they also cripple us. Um, because if we're running away constantly and we're living in shame and we're trying and we're very busy hiding that, there are other ways in which we exclude ourselves from being fully present in the moment. And that's not a way we want to operate, you know. And so for the longest time, I felt like people knew me. But f- realizing how much of myself I was hiding and how flat I could present because of it, I, I understood like, well, I'm not really showing up in my full sense. Right. And, and people are not getting to know the full Roxanne in her self energy, right? Right. And it's so interesting that you say that because as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking how flat church has become in a lot of people's experiences, right? That they've stopped participating in their communities because they feel like we're not actually bringing up the full self. Yeah. So that's one of the things that was mind-boggling to me when I would go to church is I, I would wonder who is genuinely enjoying the company of the people that they can't be themselves around. Like, I feel this kind of anxiety internally and this desire to fit in. And then I walk away from church feeling extremely exhausted and performative. Like, right. that took a lot of energy to show up the way that I did. Yeah. How do I, how do, how do I present my most authentic self while still hiding all of these parts of myself? There is a social contract, right? There, some people read the room. Some people, like myself, do not. <laughs> Where it's like that. It's like being in you know 18th century Europe or whatever. And it's like these are the dinner party rules, and this is how we expect you to act within society. And some people thrive on that, right? And some people build an entire Instagram brand on being the perfect Christian uh, family that. You know, their vices are, you know, we eat too much chocolate and we watch, you know, Disney on the weekends, right? Right, right. <laughs> and everyone else is sitting there like, er, um, <laughs> uh, like, if that's your vice, then I think I'm in the wrong building right now, right? Right, right. And so, you know, what do we do in situations where we've created a community of faith that has this underlying social contract say, please do not talk about queerness, or if you do, be very much in a palatable form for this community. Hmm. And I think that whether or not, and this is what's so interesting, whether or not you are queer, it sends a message about perfectionism. And even though right now they're in the journey of fitting into the mold because they want their community, they value their community, There is still this deep distrust because their relationship they know 
is based on performance. That as long as I am the good boy or the good girl, (laughs) um, then I will retain my community's love and affection. But as soon as I break out of this contract, I know that I am not welcome here. Right. And, and, And that's what's actually missing is the safety to talk about what's really happening underneath the surface. I mean, when I think about the difference between my community of friends and then my community within the church, I think of that very exact kind of need, like that I can't fully invite myself into this space. And I think it's so interesting because we just watched a cool documentary, a four-part series, Alan versus Pharaoh. I am never watching a Woody Allen film again. I, it is on HBO Max, which is very expensive, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a great documentary because it really talks about what do you do when the underdog has been the victim of something and the perpetrator is kind of this unstoppable figure that is accepted in media and in power. And what do you do, you know, when when you have not the resources, not the power, not the influence that this other person has to control the narrative, to skew the credibility of, of people involved? And it did make me think about parallels to the church and parallels to the Me Too movement and parallels to all of history where uh, minority voices have been silenced, right? Me Too is like fairly recent, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, there are, there are women who are afraid to tell their story because they know that one, either they will be blamed, they will be disbelieved, or they will cause a rift in their community, and for example, in college, I had an incident with a football player who assaulted me. And this person was somebody who went on to play in the NFL and spent many years having a wonderful career. And I never, like in my mind, I already knew that to say anything would be just more trouble for myself than I wanted to bring on. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the community support at the time. I didn't have even the the mental resources. I was working two jobs, going to school full-time in a new city. I I didn't have the reserves to battle something like this. And you see incidences like this, and I think what kind of community are we creating like a church that is supposed to be a haven for people to feel safe, to be authentic, to tell their truth when, if a person does come to the table and say, I'm a member of the LGBTQ, this community has created an environment that is now going to shun, expel, Embarrass. Embarrass and cut this person off from their community. You are creating an environment where truth cannot be told because you're saying, I don't want to hear it. And if you do, 
if you do break the social contract, the unspoken written rules, this is what's going to happen to you. Yeah. First of all, I just have to state that the impact on me when you share parts of your story is just sadness. It feels very compounded, you know, like, oh, so you're not just dealing with a gender issue. You're not just dealing with a sexuality issue. Seems like throughout different points of your life, as is the experience of many women, including myself, you know, it's the, I've gone through something and needed the support of somebody and had nowhere to turn to that I felt safe in. And so I think that for as much as this conversation highlights the points of disconnection with the church and the missed opportunity, it's also an invitation to say, hey, let's stop meeting these voices with such a defensiveness that we fail to correct the wrongs and make this an actual safe space, a, a safe haven. Right. For people of different backgrounds, I think Adventism is so beautiful and it has unique aspects to it that make it a really great space for connecting with God um, and for understanding God. I love our theology, inviting people to share their truth does not mean that you have to agree with it. It just means that you have to care enough about the person that you value what they have to say. And people from different backgrounds talk all the time and have great conversation and meaningful friendships without having to land at the same conclusions. Like I actually see the, the deficit that happens in religious communities that only allow people and perspectives from their very insular communities. For example, it's like monocropping. So monocropping is when you basically plant and harvest a single crop and you make your entire field corn or almonds or whatever. And they're finding that these monocrops are actually more susceptible to disease. Uh, So they have to use more pesticides in order to kill the bugs. And then that gets into the food system. So a more inclusive way of of farming has been to, okay, how do you diversify uh, large fields and that actually protects from disease? So I think the same is true in in social spaces. When there is a monocrop of ideas or of personalities or of religious beliefs, there I think it becomes sometimes diseased and not the strongest and healthiest to withstand dealing with present social issues, right? You need a diversity of perspectives to be able to move forward in a healthy and holistic way. When people come to you, and I'm sure some with their hopes, right? Like, you have to do this podcast. We need your voice. You have to share what happened. Um, You have to approach these theological issues. And also from those who are more worried about your well-being, saying, hey, the church is not ready to hear what you have to say. I hear like both ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. that you've shared. What does that do for you? Like if you were to name an emotion about doing this podcast okay, with all these, you know, perspectives in your ear, what is that like for you? Okay. And feel free to interrupt me. Anytime. Um, I think 
I feel nervous about the project because I think I I, I have an idea. Like I, I think both perspectives are valid. I think there's a perspective that says, go get them. And, you know, the Lord will be with you like he was with David and you will uh, take down Goliath. And then there's another perspective that says, you know, do not be a martyr right now and save yourself because these people are not ready to have these types of conversations. And I think both of those perspectives feel very valid to me. And I think there's one part of me that is angry that there is a climate of fear and that the church has facilitated that climate and knowingly facilitated that climate. I found a lot of of hostility, you know, in the moment of my grief. I lost a project that I'd worked on for three years and people were, you know, caught up in their own kind of religious beliefs about this issue and that some professor wanted to take that as an opportunity to reprimand me and basically say some things about me if I were to not come to the consensus view that I would be essentially denouncing my Adventism and a lot of arrogant things were said and how threatening oh it was very threatening and I had to really kind of get some backup support. I got to go to certain administration, not in the seminary. <laughs> I had to go to administration outside of the seminary to make sure that am I going to be able to finish my last semester with some dignity? Or am I going to be like a, a topic of debate? Are people going to trivialize my life or whatever in a way that is going to forward their theological agendas? That sounds overwhelming. Um, that sounds like there's a struggle between perhaps a sense of injustice and also a very valid desire for safety. Oh, yeah. I mean, I ended up moving out of Bering Springs because of this event. I mean, I left my home because it became a point where I thought, you know, are my, are my neighbors, people that I see all the time, I go jogging around the campus, you know, like it became an environment where I felt triggered, you know, I felt like, am I even really welcome here or am I just, you know, this person that uh, people feel the need to domesticate, right? Mm. And I got a lot of messages of saying like, hey, I'm sorry this is happening to you, but like, as long as you're side B, you're cool. And I was like, well, that's not cool. (laughs) You know, like, why is there conditionality on your advocacy or your defense of me? I am not a different person. I'm still the, the kind, genuine person you've always met. So the theologically curious, wanting to champion, you know, the underdog, like, I'm still that person, so... Nothing has changed. uh, Right. Other than now you know a different part of me that you didn't know previously. It's like, I still have a high view of Scripture. I'm still the person who's held these conversations. Um, Yeah. And 
And now you know something about me and I don't feel as liked, as respected, as loved as I once did. And the exercise of having to figure out if you see me for who I am or not is too much. It's too much. I mean, I I would be lying if I said that it wasn't a very depressing part of my life because I, I think a part of me wants to gloss over how difficult the last four months have been, you know, um, I think I will look back on this in a year or two years or three years and with lots of therapy and be like, wow, that was very traumatic to kind of lose a community overnight even. Even though I got tons of like support, uh, direct messages, people who shared similar stories, you know, I, I felt hurt. No, no doubt. No doubt. I think your hurt, feeling hurt is a big part of understanding the impact of the theology on every LGBTQ person who identifies as Seventh-day Adventist and has this sexual identity that is not accepted or welcomed. There is a sense of, of survival, <laughs> like where I have had to recreate communities because the situation that I was in was so toxic and damaging that for my own mental health and my own well-being, you know, I had to rebuild again. And so when I think about uprooting and having to leave my home and leaving the physical location of the seminary to move somewhere where I feel a little more anonymous, not judged, free, <laughs> um, I think, again, that's another pattern of my my own kind of trauma response of feeling like I have seen this toxicity before and to protect myself, I will move forward and I will, you know, rebuild. You cannot begin to um, navigate grief or shame or sadness if you're not willing to touch the grief in your own life, the shame in your own life, the sadness. It's like the blind can't lead the blind. Yeah, and exactly. So you have to go through that process yourself. And again, anybody who is trying to be a safe place or a person for another person has to be able to be empathetic. You cannot be empathetic when you're not looking at the deep, dark spaces and caves in your own life. You know, and even like, okay, this is the, the bad thing about being defensive is you, you don't make it safe for others to share with you. You don't even make it safe for yourself to be honest with yourself, right? right. Um, but the good thing about defensiveness showing up is that it's, it's your biggest alarm bell to tell you, oh, there's something to pay attention to here. There is something you are trying to fight against that, why? Why is there all this resistance around it? Right. When people get the most offensive around a subject, I think that's where their biggest vulnerability is. What's here? What are you <laughs> defending exactly? It's really Let's fragile. <laughs> right. um, I, I think that's a great point because it's like the stereotype. People who are the most homophobic are probably fighting something within themselves. That's a stereotype. It's not a statement about anyone's sexuality. 
it shouldn't be that threatening. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Like when we talk about like football teams and someone's like, I like the 49ers over the Raiders, I go, okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not that invested. <laughs> Why are you so invested? <laughs> there is something. There is something there. Let's pay attention. Well, you want to move away from it. I'm actually very curious about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that I do want to get curious about it. Mm-hmm. And so if you are defensive, <laughs> please listen in. But hopefully this is a safe space and that's what I want to facilitate. We will talk about theology. We have a wonderful podcast next week uh, with Matthew Cortman talking about just some theological insights that he brings up in his book, Saying No to God, where he has a chapter on saying no to homophobia. Interesting. And he does some really interesting work there that we're going to be talking about. There'll be more podcasts that are more conversational, uh, some more narrative. And so I just hope it's a fantastic journey. But I guess the question I will continue to pose is, is it safe? Is it safe to come out to you as a person? Is it safe for someone to come out in your church? Why or why not? And so if you personally are listening in and you have an answer that you'd like to Share with me personally. You can write me at Kendra R. Snow with an X on Instagram or Facebook. I'll be happy to read some of these responses on here. And so I'm curious to see how you guys are dealing with this. There is a lot of fear. And so I think for me, I want to combat that fear. I will not live in that type of environment. I don't think it's a godly environment. I also have to question, you know, um, the makers of that environment themselves. You know, like if you are creating an unsafe environment, what is that really saying about you and your spirituality? So, yeah, is it safe? Is it safe? Great question. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you. On behalf of the LGBTQ community. I I will accept this reward. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to curious conversations, I'd love to receive questions and letters from you. Many of you have shared your own journey, navigating queer theology, relationships, church participation. So you can send in your personal stories or curious questions to me at Kendra R. Snow with an X on Instagram or Facebook. And also be sure to follow our sponsors, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. Be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created and engineered by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International.